Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's Sermon Podcast. If you want more content like this, find us on our website at www.surechurch.com. This sermon was preached on November 8th, 2020 in Brandon, South Dakota on the basis of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Back in 2004, two former PayPal employees, Russell and Jeremy, decided to break out on their own and create their own app and their own business. And that app became widely popular today. In fact, they probably had no idea how popular this app would become. Many of you probably use it as well or rely on it. This app is called Yelp. Yelp is one of those apps that allows you to rate a business on a scale of one star to five stars, and then after your rating, you can write a review on your experience at that particular establishment. And so I use it a lot for for restaurants. So for example, if you went to Olive Garden, you had just the greatest meal ever, the most nice waiter ever, the ambiance was great, you could go home, log into Yelp, and give it five stars and a raving review so that other people can see how awesome this restaurant is and they can try it out too. But the other side is true as well. If you went to a restaurant and the food was cold and the waitress was rude and the ambiance was drab, you could log into Yelp and give it a one-star review and write a poor review of that particular restaurant so that other people wouldn't waste their time going to that restaurant. Yelp can be a useful and helpful tool. You can find restaurants that are worth visiting, businesses that are worth visiting, ones that you can trust, and you can find others that are maybe not worth going to, not worth trusting. But there is always one flaw when it comes to uh, these kind of review apps, whether it be Yelp or Facebook reviews or Google reviews. The source does matter. Because maybe the food at that restaurant wasn't actually that bad, but the person writing the review just had an awful day at work, and now they were venting frustration through a different outlet. Or maybe that good review was not actually a reflection of the quality of the food, but the positive review came from a family member of the owner who was just trying to do the the owner a solid and give them a good review. The point is, the source of the information matters. You want a source that is unbiased and credible. You want a source that is honest and reliable. You want a source that is knowledgeable about what they're talking about. You want a source that you can trust. The source matters. This isn't just true for restaurant reviews, but it's also true for life. So, the question is, Who are you listening to? Are you listening to a source that you can trust? Let's take a look at our scripture for this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, a very well-known section of scripture. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, 
because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is God's word. So, who are you listening to? Who is nurturing you, shaping your thoughts, inspiring your words, filling you up? These are interesting questions to ask in the 21st century world because we live in a world of information overload. We take in all kinds of information from all different sources, and this affects us, this information does. It affects the way we think about things. It affects the way we feel. It affects how we, what we believe. This is stuff that social scientists have studied since the rise of the internet. And these social scientists have done a lot of studies about how humans consume information, how they interact with information, and what this information does in in way of affecting people. It is interesting that, that the language that these social scientists use resemble that of a nutritionist. <laughs> if you want to talk to a nutritionist, they, they'd say very simplistically that if what you eat is unhealthy, if what you eat is junk food, then that's going to have a negative effect on your body, obviously, and on your health. And similarly, if you, you eat wholesome food, if you eat good food, that's going to have a positive effect on your body. Well, these social scientists are, are talking about consuming information in a similar manner. If all you take in is garbage and immoral junk by, by what you watch and what you hear, that's going to have a negative effect on you as a person. And the opposite is true. If what you take in is wholesome and moral, that's going to have a positive effect on you. It's interesting that they talk about it like this. In fact, we can even say that this is true spiritually speaking. Because in a sense, you are what you eat. You are shaped by what you consume. You are nurtured by what you listen to. And the scariest part about all of this is that the devil and the world, they want to be the ones who shape you. They want to be the ones who nurture you. They want to have you and they will do just about anything to get you. And so they will hurl lies at you and they will create all kinds of noise just to draw you in. They feed you lies about God, convincing you that you don't really need him, that you are self-sufficient, that God's stuff was a thing of your past. You used to believe that when you were in grade school, but you've become smarter and wiser now and you've moved past God and on to something bigger and better. The devil and the world want to convince you that the word of God is archaic or outdated that you've moved past that now, that there was a time and place for the word of God, but now we have science, now we have all of these other things that we can find knowledge through that can help us lead a fulfilling life. We don't need the Bible anymore. The devil and the world want to convince you that God's institutions are worthless 
He, he attacks marriage and makes you think that God's concept of marriage is old and outdated. That's a thing of the past. Our, our new modern concept of marriage is more mainstream. It's better and it's more loving even. The devil and the world hurl all kinds of lies at you. And they filter these lies through many different sources. Through the internet, through television, through movies, through music, through social media, through family, through friends, through professors, through books, and the list could go on and on. Each day you wake up, you are daily assaulted with this lie, with these lies that the devil wants to tell you. And it would be foolish to think that you and I were not affected by this, that we have come out of this assault unscathed. In fact, the most scary part about all of this is there's a part of my sinful nature that actually likes what the devil in the world is trying to sell me. But maybe you aren't quite convinced yet. Maybe you're, you're kind of like Timothy, that you've known scripture since infancy You can't remember a time that you didn't know the word. You've heard it your entire life. You you went through Sunday school. You went through grade school. Maybe even you went through high school and you've been to church pretty much every Sunday since you've been alive. But even you, even you, the devil wants to have you. And so the devil maybe uses all of those tactics that he uses before but he also uses different tactics on you. He can turn what is so familiar to you. He can turn the word of God that you have learned your entire life into something that is boring and rote. Where do you say a prayer before your meal and you don't think about what you're saying? Where you say the Lord's Prayer in worship and you never think about what you are asking God? Where you you say the beautiful confession of the Nicene Creed and you confess God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but you never really understand or think about what you are, are reciting. It's as if you are a robot regurgitating this, but not thinking it through. You could hear a sermon text of which you've probably heard five different sermons from five different preachers on the same sermon text, and you tune out. You gloss over and you trade the the beauty and the power of the word of God for your grocery list after the service or for the to-dos in the week to come. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that the devil and the world want to pull you in. They want to have you and they often succeed. Paul's words to Timothy are an encouragement to him specifically, but they're an encouragement that we get too. Because we get to read this section too. Paul says to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. At this time, Paul is in prison. And he writes this letter to Timothy knowing that he will likely die soon. That Paul is soon to be executed. Paul had spent a lot of his time mentoring Timothy. He took Timothy with him on a second and third mission journey. He had been a mentor to Timothy and taught him a lot about ministry. And now Timothy is a pastor on his own, and Paul is still mentoring him, still reaching out to him, still giving him advice uh, personally, uh, advice for himself, and advice for, for his ministry as well. 
But he's going to encourage Timothy one last time in this book of 2 Timothy. And his, his encouragement here is the same as his encouragement would be to us. Continue. Don't be drawn in by what the world calls wise. You are not smarter than God and nobody else is either. You are not wiser than God and nobody else is either. Don't become calloused to the word that you have learned from infancy, but continue. Continue to go back to the word for wisdom. Continue to listen to the word, to be nurtured by the word, to be shaped by the word, to be inspired by the word, to continue to daily ingest the word. Let that be a part of your daily diet. Because in that word, you receive the most precious truth ever. Paul says, How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Through scripture alone, you received what makes you wise for salvation. No other information source can give you that. No Twitter page, no news analyst, no government official, no professor at a college. Only scripture can make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Because only scripture shows you your Savior. Your Savior who stayed true to his word by coming and living a perfect life. Your Savior who stayed true to his word when he said he'd crush the devil's head and he did. Your Savior who said he'd rise from the dead and he did. Without scripture, you wouldn't know about your Savior. Without scripture, therefore, you would not be saved. Paul goes on, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We said it before, the source matters. If you can't trust the source, you can't trust the message. I went on a mission trip to Houston, Texas in my last year of seminary. That was about two years ago. And we helped lay the groundwork for a new mission start down there. One of the things that we wanted to do in the mission planting process is to visit a few churches in the area. Just to get a feel for what the people might be used to. Like, did they say the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer? Did the pastor wear a robe? You know, things like that. So a classmate and I visited a couple churches down there. And the second one that we walked into, the, the people greeted us and they were very friendly. And we got about halfway through the service and the pastor was preaching on Moses. And it wasn't too far into the sermon when he said probably the saddest thing that I've ever heard from the pulpit. He said, it's a fun game to try to guess this story and if this story is actually in scripture or not if it happened or not, if it's just a fable or not. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. I, I was appalled. I wanted to jump out of my seat. That preacher had just undermined his people's confidence in all of Scripture. Because if there is one fallacy in Scripture, if there is one lie in all of Scripture, one thing that's not true, then how can we be confident in any of it? This lost preacher needed to hear from Paul that all scripture, all scripture, none, none of it is excluded. All scripture is God-breathed. 
The Bible is not made up of fables and stories, but it is the God-breathed word. God does not lie. So that means that every word of scripture is true and without mistake. It is infallible and inerrant, which means that every word is precious and important, which means every word there, there is power and use. We already talked about the power. We mentioned that before. It's the power for salvation, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But although the main purpose of the Bible is salvation, and it truly is, that as John said in our lesson before, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the main purpose of Scripture. But Scripture is also useful for other things. Scripture is useful for teaching. That means if you don't know how to live your life in a God-pleasing manner, the Word teaches you. It gives you instruction, it gives instructions to parents and children, to employers and employees, to husbands and wives, to single people, elderly men, elderly women, pastors and teachers, all kinds of people the Word gives instructive instructions to. And it is instructive for life helping you know how to live a God-pleasing life and assuring you that all the while, while you're trying to live a God-pleasing life and when you fail, that you are forgiven in Christ. It's also useful for rebuking. And when this is happening to you, you maybe don't like it all that much, but the word is useful for rebuking. If someone is caught in a sin or a sinful lifestyle, I could personally come to him with my own opinion and what good would that do? My opinion doesn't matter all that much. If this person did not respect me all that much, then, then what good is my word? But if I come to them with the God-breathed word, there is authority and power there. This isn't me saying this, but this is God. It is useful for correcting. After the rebuke has been accepted, how do you turn things around? The power of the gospel in your everyday life turns things around. It's the word working in your heart to change your heart. And then the word gives you instruction and corrects you and gives you direction so that you might turn from your sin and live. And finally, Paul says, it is useful for training in righteousness. The study of God's word, the study of him and his word is a practical habit. It's not one a one and done thing. It's the practice of going to the Word daily for renewal and forgiveness, for peace and hope, for guidance and direction. What makes you righteous is what Jesus did for you. Therefore, training in righteousness is training in Jesus, knowing Jesus even better. So, who are you listening to? There's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of people that want you to listen to them, but there is only one source that you can trust with all your heart. There's only one source that will never lie to you. There's only one source that will make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's only one source that is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That source is the Word. Listen to the Word. Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard tells a story in one of his works about a grandfather walking with his grandson through a local cemetery. As they walk through, the boy inquires, why, why are we walking through a, seminary, a cemetery, Grandpa? The grandpa responded to the grandson, 
I wanted to teach you something today. One day, my body will be laid to rest here and my name will be written on one of those headstones. I, won't long, I will no longer be here with you. But I want for you more than anything is this, that you would continue. Continue in what you have learned. Continue in the word. Hold on to it tight because one day when your body is laid to rest here, I want you to come find me in heaven and give me a hug. Let that be our goal as well, dear Christians. Continue. Amen.